Hey, good morning, everybody. And uh, if you're in Pewaukee, welcome. Thank you for joining us. If you're online, we are at our Waukesha campus and just grateful that we have this technology to have you watch wherever you might be traveling this, uh, this holiday weekend. In case we haven't met, my name's John, and I'm one of the pastors here at River Glen. And talking about Christmas, right, next weekend we're going to kick off our Christmas series. It's called Merry Conversations. And, and we think about Merry Conversations. We all had a lot of conversations over the Thanksgiving table and over the Thanksgiving weekend. And so just like we want to encourage you to invite people to come for Christmas Eve services, we'd love it if you invite people to come for this Merry Conversations, because it's going to help us get ready as we roll into Christmas. And that'll help all of us, all of our friends and our family. And, and over the past couple of days, I hope you loved seeing your friends and family. Thanksgiving, for me, has always been one of my favorite holidays growing up. It was a three-day school week, so that got me super excited. In the 21st century, it's a two-day school week, so you guys should be super excited about that. I, I got to see my cousins, and we had a lot of fun. And then back in the day before pay TV, there was only like four or five channels. And so every morning, we would watch the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. And, and I loved it. I loved seeing all my favorite cartoon characters blown up as big balloons like Rocky and, and, and Bullwinkle and Snoopy. And it's been a long time since I've seen uh, the Thanksgiving, Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. Like, so I'm not even sure who this guy is. But he's flying nowadays. Um, but I love that we have a national holiday that is a day set aside for us to express gratitude and to give thanks. It says a lot about the history of our nation. And we can go all the way back to the pilgrims. That first Thanksgiving, they were celebrating basically two things. A, they were alive, and B, their crop came in. And so they took that as an opportunity to express gratitude. Abraham Lincoln in the middle of the Civil War, he, he, he wrote this. He declared a day to practice gratitude. And in his Thanksgiving Day proclamation, in part, he said, I do therefore invite my fellow citizens to observe the last Thursday in November as a day of thanksgiving and praise to our benevolent Father who dwells in heaven. And as a nation and as individuals, we have so much to be grateful for. According to the Global Rich List, if you have an income of $32,000, that puts you in the top 1% of wage earners in the world. The, the median household income in 2019 is projected to be $63,000. That means Americans, on average as a whole, are among the richest people on the planet. And that's enough that should make us feel grateful and to allow us to express our thanksgiving. But when I hear statistics like that, I'm like, yeah, but. And then there's this small voice in my head, and the small voice says things like, yeah, I have a car, but it's a seven-year-old car, and I wish I had a newer car. Or it says, I have a job, but somebody else has a better job. Or I have a home, but I wish I had a bigger home. Or, or yeah, sure, I got money in the bank. But I wish I had more money in the bank because what I have isn't enough. And that's my struggle. That's my natural inclination. It's to focus on what I don't have, not on what I have. And that's ingratitude, if you will. Do you ever, do you ever think like that? Like we think what we have isn't enough. And because we think what we have, it isn't enough, we're not grateful with what we have. Maybe me, and me, right? Me for sure, but and maybe you. Maybe you think that we deserve more, that we're entitled to more. 
Because there are times when I feel like this, and I'm thinking there might be times when you feel the same way. We have this sense of entitlement, this sense that says we are owed more. I was reading a blog, a blog by a pastor I follow, and he was writing about this sense of entitlement in our culture, how we feel that we're entitled to more, not because it's merited, not because we earn it, but simply because we think we deserve it. And then he goes on to talk about millennials and how they've been labeled as the entitled generation. And now, I don't know if that label is fair. My boys are both millennials. Half the staff, half your staff here at River Glen are millennials. And I've never sensed that entitlement from them, but that label, it's out there. And he goes on to make this point. He says, if the millennials are entitled, we have to ask why. And he finds the answer in this next question. He simply says, who raised them? He says, let's start with the parents because they raised them. And then he adds, we raised them and we gave them whatever they wanted, whenever they wanted, because we were working long, crazy hours and we weren't home a lot, or our children are growing up as a product of a divorce household. And in order to compensate for not being there, in order to compensate for the divorce, we, we want to make it up to them. And so we protected them. We tried to keep them away from anything stressful. We gave them participation awards. And as a result of all of that, they grew up with this sense of entitlement. Now, they're not the only ones who feel entitled because as parents or if you don't have children, just those of us who are older, we can feel entitled too. And the reality is we seem to live in an entitled age. And entitlement can be summed up this way. It's just simply, I want what I want when I want it, and I want it now. We don't want to wait for anything anymore. We, we don't want to save up for things. If we get upset if things take too long to download, if you're looking at your screen and you see that circle of death, we just get super upset. Or, or Amazon, next day delivery, that's not good enough. It's got to be same day delivery because, man, we want it, and we want it right now. Netflix, it drives me crazy when I turn it on, and all of a sudden I have to reboot, and I have to re-enter my password, and this whole three-minute process makes me crazy. The opposite of entitlement is to be grateful and to give thanks. And that leads to a grateful and a generous life. And the thing is, it's just like gratitude. We don't drift into gratitude just like we don't drift into good health. We don't eat cheeseburgers, french fries, chocolate milkshakes, and a bag of Fritos. And then one day wake up and say, wow, I have the body of my dreams. I am fit and healthy. Gratitude works the same way. If we don't exercise that gratitude muscle, we don't end up being a grateful person. We drift the other way. Pastor Tim Keller, he said it this way. He said, we lack joy because we don't spend sustained time in detailed thanksgiving and gratitude. And now, this isn't anything new because we can look in the Gospel of Luke and Jesus encounters a group of men and he gives them every reason to be thankful and to be grateful. And so if you have your Bible, we're gonna take a look at Luke chapter 17. We're gonna be going through verses 12 through 18. Use whatever device you wanna read the Bible on. And we're gonna look at a couple of verses at the time. I'm gonna stop and we'll talk about them as we go. But let's just start out with the first two verses. Now, on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, 10 men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance. And so how many men were there? 
right? The Bible tells us that there's 10 men. And then the next verse says, they stood at a distance and they called out in a loud voice, Jesus, master, have pity on us. Now we got to notice where these guys are because this is important. They're outside the village. See, they're outside of the village because they're not allowed in the village because they're lepers, and that means they have leprosy. And so their whole existence, their whole survival is entirely based on the generosity and the goodwill of their family and friends. And they're counting on those family and friends to put food outside of the village. And they can't even put the food on plates because if they put the food on plates and the lepers touch them, then those plates have to be destroyed. So their food is just literally coming out of the ground and it's all dirty. And they cry out because they cry out and they say, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. Now, another translation, a couple of different translations, instead of saying have pity on us, <clears throat> Jesus says have mercy on us. And I think that's a better description of what they're asking for. They're asking for mercy. They knew what they needed. They knew who Jesus was, and they knew what he could do. And so we got to take just a minute here and give a little context uh, about these 10 men. Because, see, if you got leprosy, a leper, you, you're, 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 you're shunned. You can't go near anybody. It's one of the most painful diseases that you could ever imagine. That maybe you've seen the pictures and their skin is bubbling and oozing. And they've got all of these sores. And then in addition to that, all of their nerve endings are just super painful. And then they're super infectious. They're hyper infectious. They can't go near anyone. And like, that's not bad enough, right? The pain was bad. But according to Leviticus chapter 13, whenever somebody got close to them, the, these lepers, the men, they had to scream out. They had to shout, unclean, unclean, stay away, get away from me, go the opposite way. They had to warn people to keep away from them. And it had to be humiliating. Not only are they physically hurting all the time, think about the emotional pain where you have to cry out and you have to tell people to stay away from you. They've had no physical contact, no intimacy, no hugging for years. And so these 10 guys, they see Jesus in the distance and they know that he's been rumored to heal people. And so you can imagine their excitement. They're like, hey, Jesus, Jesus, please look over here. And they're thinking, this could be the greatest moment of my life. If he would heal me, my life would be restored. And they cry out to him. And the next verse says this, verse 14 says, when he saw them, he said, go and show yourself to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. As they went, Luke tells us, they were healed. They received a miracle. Their disease was gone. The thing they wanted most in life, their biggest prayer, the prayer they had been praying over and over and over again had just been answered. And then verse 15 says something surprising. One of them, not 10 of them, one of them, when he saw I was healed, he came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at the feet of Jesus and he thanked him and he was a Samaritan. Now we have to talk about why they added and he was a Samaritan because it's important to know that Jews and Samaritans hated each other. Remember in the Gospel of John when Jesus is talking to the woman at the well and she's a Samaritan and the disciples come, Jesus, get away from her. What are you doing talking to her? Like Jews and Samaritans hated one another. And so the Samaritan, he's the one that most would be expected, he'd be least likely 
to come back and express gratitude and thanksgiving. And Jesus says in verse 17, he asks, we're not all 10 clean? Where are the other nine? And I can see, I can just kind of picture Jesus like in my mind. He's having this conversation with the one who comes back and he says, hey, I'm just curious. Where are the nine? Where are your friends? And Jesus continues on. Was no one found to return to give praise to God except this foreigner? And you can almost feel and see Jesus, he's astonished because these men, they were begging, they were crying out, they were miserable and suffering. Their lives were nothing. Their lives were over. They were going to live isolated and they were going to die alone. And they cried out to God and God sent Jesus. And in the middle of this miracle of healing, Jesus says, where'd you go? And I'm sure the nine, they're probably not bad guys. They're probably thinking, I, I want to go home, and, and I want to see my wife, and, and I want to see my family. And, and all of them had so much to be grateful for, they were restored back to life. But only one came back. And, and maybe these other nine, maybe they were thinking, after all I've been through for so many years, I deserve this, and I'm entitled to a miracle. Only one came back, not entitled, but grateful. And so the question we need to wrestle with is simply this one. Will we be the one? How can we be the one that takes time daily to give glory and honor to the one who gave us life? How will we become the one that that in the middle of the busyness and the craziness of our lives, that we lift up our gratitude and our thanksgiving to the creator of the universe? How can we be the one who gives praise to the one who sent his son to do something for us that we couldn't do for ourselves? And it goes beyond God, and it goes beyond Jesus. What about the people who impacted us, who influenced our lives, the ones who helped us become who we are. Will we be the ones to stop and say thank you, to express gratitude to someone who made a difference in our lives? Will we be the ones to see our children's coaches or our teacher? And will we be the ones to thank them for the positive impact they made on the lives of our kids? Will we express gratitude? And it seems the odds are against us Because many people today think the world owes them something. In the absence of practicing sustained gratitude, we drift to a mindset that focuses on ourselves, our wants, our needs, and our desires. I like to think of myself as a grateful person. And generally, if you asked me, I would say, yeah, I'm a grateful person. That's what I think. But when I look at my life and I start reflecting and how I live my life sometimes, I can see that I live ungratefully. There's another story that Jesus tells in the Gospel of Luke. It's one that you probably know. It's the prodigal son. And Jesus tells the story of a man who has two sons. He's got a younger one and an older one. And you can see the ungrateful mindset in the lives of both of these guys in two quick phrases. The first ungrateful mindset says, I want it now. And let me, let me give you an example from my own personal life of I want it now. 
A few weeks ago, Kelly and I went out to a restaurant. We went out for dinner. It was one of those restaurants where there's no reservations. You go, and you just kind of wait, and you hope you get a seat. And we got lucky. We got seated right away, and we sat down. They took our order. I noticed some people that they came in after us, and, and they had to sit, and they had to stand. And, and then finally, they got a seat, and you know, Kelly and I are talking. And you know, it's taken a while for our food to come out. And then I look, and I notice that these people that they came in after us they have their food, and not only have they food, like they're halfway through their meal, and, and we don't have our food yet. And, and so I'm not the person who's going to get up. I'm not going to go flag someone down. I'm not going to go and say, hey, where's our food? They got our food. But I see our server, and now I gave our server the look. <laughs> yeah, and I'm not even sure what that look looks like, but I can tell you what that look says. And now remember, I didn't say any of it, but the look says, hey, we were here first, they're eating their food, we don't have our food, and I want to know where my food is right now, that look. And the server, like I said, I didn't say anything, but the server was great, they were super apologetic, they're like, hey, I don't know what happened, let me go find out, and so they go to the kitchen, and they come back, and they give us a free app, and they said, hey, there was a mix-up, and your order, it's going to be the next order that comes out of the kitchen, and then it hits me. I'm getting ready to teach on gratitude, <laughs> and I'm being super ungrateful. In my ingratitude, it just sneaks up on me, because in hindsight, here I am. I'm sitting in this restaurant. Kelly and I are having a great conversation. Somebody I don't even know is preparing a wonderful meal for me. I don't even have to clean up the mess. I have the money to pay for that, and rather than focusing on all the good and being grateful in the moment, I focus on how my meal is 15 minutes late and I want it now. I want it now. We can see that same attitude in the younger son. And Jesus tells us that the younger son demands his inheritance now. And ordinarily, right, if you receive an inheritance, it's because someone died. But not this guy. He tells his dad, he says, I, I want it now. I want to go live my life. I don't want to live by your rules. I don't want to wait. I want what you have, and I want it now. And so the father gives it to him. And he squanders it. And what took decades for the father to accumulate, the son wastes in a matter of months. And we've been conditioned to think that if we want it, we should have it now and we shouldn't have to wait. And the second mindful, the second ungrateful mindset, it says, I deserve more. And we see that in the older brother because the older brother, he sees the younger brother come home and dad is throwing this big party. Dad put a gold ring on his finger. He said, get my finest robe, put my sandals on his feet. He's restoring the youngest brother to his rightful place. He says, kill the, catted fat, kill the fatted calf. And the older brother is like, whoa, time out here. Wait a minute, wait, wait a minute. I, I deserve more. I've been working for you. You haven't even been paying me. I've been working overtime. You've never even given me so much as a sheep or a goat. I deserve so much more. I deserve more, Dad. And you can feel his bitterness. He said, you never did that for me, and I deserve it. And here's what we see often today. An attitude that says, I deserve more. I deserve bigger, and I deserve better. And if, we're, if we aren't aware of this, and we don't work on this ourselves, we're going to end up with an ungrateful mindset, and we're going to be the nine and not the one. And so we want to cultivate 
this attitude of gratitude in our lives. And we want to live with an attitude of gratitude because when we do that, we become freed from the sense of entitlement. And that helps us become the one. Gratitude is a spiritual practice of seeing and celebrating the good in the world around us. And that is easier said than done. Modern life, you turn on the news, it focuses us to, to, to just look at what's bad in our lives, to look at what's horrible in the world around us. And so learning to notice the good, it takes practice. But every time we flex our gratitude muscle, we go stronger, and it feels good to be grateful. We connect with God, and he's the source of all goodness. Now, most of my mornings, I begin the same way. We probably all have morning rituals and routines. I grab a cup of coffee. I grab my Bible or another devotional that, that I'm reading. And I go and I sit down and I just spend this time waking up and reading and reflecting. And back in July, I ran across this idea of um, keeping a gratitude journal. It's a simple idea. You just spend a few minutes daily and we focus on what's good in our lives or what's good in the world around us. And I have my journal right here. It's, it's, it's nothing fancy, you know, it's just a little paperback notebook. I, I wrote down a couple of my favorite verses uh, on the cover. And, and so I added this practice of a gratitude journal to my morning routine. And I started reading through it the other day. And, and since July, I've written down over 200 things that I'm grateful for, and just a few each day. And then things that I write down they're not necessarily like these, these deep and profound thoughts. And so as I was reading through them, I kind of, in my mind, just kind of broke up. You know, I got small things, I got medium things, and, and I got large things. And, and here's, some, here's some of the small things, and here's some of the things that I wrote down. One morning I wrote down, I'm grateful to be able to unload the dishwasher because it means we have food. And then uh, I wrote down often, I see this sense, and I see this pattern in my journal. I'm very frequently grateful for sunny days and great weather because I love to go ride my bike. And if it's a beautiful day, that means I get to go ride my bike. And then uh, one of the things I wrote for, you know, I got this bucket list. I've always wanted to see one of my favorite bands from the 90s. I wanted to see the Gin Blossoms in concert. Yeah, I got to do that last summer. It was awesome. And I write down some medium things that I'm grateful for. You know, um, one day I was sitting at our counter, and, and I was sitting at the bar stool, and I was looking at the freezer, and I don't know why, but it just occurred to me that the freezer was filled with food, and I was like, wow, that is pretty amazing. And then I looked over the oven, and, and I saw the microwave, and I was like, wow, how cool is that? I can take this food out of the freezer, I can put it in the microwave, and in 15 minutes I can be eating. And I started thinking about, you know, I, I started thinking about Woodman's. And I was like, wow, half the people on the planet, if they were there, they would think they died and they went to heaven. And so I just found gratitude in, in that. And then some large things that I write down. I, I'm grateful for my family and friends. They are so important in, in my life. I'm grateful for Jesus and what he did for me. And then I wrote down, uh, I'm grateful for the wisdom and the insight that I find in scripture, and I'm grateful for the Holy Spirit guiding me in my life. And I just try to simply notice the good in the world around me. And this takes us back to the first chapter of the Bible in the book of Genesis in creation. God, six days of creation, and each day ends the same way. God looks and sees what he's done, and it is good. 
And as I read through my journal this past week, I found myself, I was smiling a lot. I was overwhelmed with this sense of gratitude and, and this joy and, and peace that came over me. See, practicing gratitude, it changes our, our attitudes towards God, towards ourselves, towards others, and, and towards the world. And, and the more that I read of what I had written over the past several months, it led me to discover for myself that intentionally choosing to practice gratitude will help me become the one instead of the nine. And we want that for you. We want to help you exercise that gratitude muscle. It's like Christmas is less than four weeks away. I can't believe it. It's coming, it's coming fast, but it's going to be here before we know it. But we want to kind of prepare our hearts, prepare our minds, and we want to just focus on gratitude and thanksgiving leading into Christmas. And so we put together an Advent reading plan. It's on a bookmark. You should have gotten one when you walked in. If you didn't get one, make sure you get one when you leave. And each day, there are some verses that are going to point to Jesus, right? And then under the verse for that day, there's a line where you can write in one, two things, a couple things that you're grateful for. And as we roll into Christmas, if you do this, when Christmas morning comes along, you're going to have 24 things that you're grateful for. And this practice is helping us become the one. Now, we're going to close here, but I want to share with you one of my favorite verses, one of the verses that I wrote on the cover of, of my journal. It's been described as one of the most tender verses, one of the most tender images of God in the Bible. And it reminds me that the most important things in my life, they're not cars, they're not homes, they're not careers, they're not even people. The most important thing in my life is God and who he says I am. And this verse leads me to gratitude, and it takes me to a place where I want to be the one who gives thanks. And I want to share it with you. It's from, it's from the book of Zephaniah. It's in the Old Testament. Zephaniah is a prophet. It's, it's three chapters wrong, and he's writing to Jerusalem, telling them what's going to happen to them. And then in the final chapter, he says, the Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save he will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. And I want to go through that real quick because we can be grateful for these reasons. The Lord your God is with you and he is mighty to save. See, God is with us and he is for us. We're never alone. In our highest highs, in our lowest lows, he has been with us every step of the way. Never for a moment have we been alone. He tells us that we can take refuge in him. He tells us that he's our strength. He tells us that he's our stronghold. He's our rock. He's our foundation. And he is mighty to save. The next stanza. He will take great delight in you. You are the only you he created. And hear this, you're the only you he created, and he created you for a purpose. You're not a mistake. And when God sees you, he delights in you. He sees you as you have never seen yourself. He sees you as no one has ever seen you. And in the way he sees you, you are a holy and dearly loved. You are created in his image, and his image is beyond our expression. It's beyond our, our, our comprehension. It's beyond our imagination. And he will quiet you with his love. 
That means he'll give us peace in a world that just screams against us. The cares and the worries of the world. Jesus told them, he, he told us, he said, if you're weary or if you're burdened, come to me and I will give you rest. He will quiet us. He will give us rest. Here's the truth. This is what we can be grateful for. We can have rest in Jesus today, not someday in the future. That rest is here for us now. The last stanza, he will rejoice over you with singing. God sees you. He delights in you. He provides you with peace, and he sings over you. He treats you as a celebration. And that means like we just over the last few days, we celebrated Thanksgiving. We were participants in a celebration. Thanksgiving was the celebration. We weren't the celebration. But when God sees us, he treats us as that celebration. And he is so delighted. He is so in love with us that when he sees us, he sings over us. His great love celebrates all of us who follow him. That's what we can be grateful for. We can be grateful for the fact that he loves us. And just as Jesus was there for the 10, he's here for us. Because he did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. He took our shame. He took our guilt. He took our sins. He took our lies. He took our hidden facts. He took all of that on him, he took that to the cross in order to restore us to a right relationship with God. And what he asked us to do is he asked us to remember him. And what he asked us to remember isn't the baby in the nativity, and we're going to celebrate that, and we're going we're to just celebrate Jesus being born and Jesus being come, Jesus coming. But what he asked us to remember is so much more important than that. It's remembering that he took our sins to the cross and he paid the price for us. And so the night before he died, he, he took the bread, he broke the bread, and he said, take this and eat this and do this remembrance of me. And then the cup came by and, and they drank the juice and that represented his blood poured out for him. And so we're gonna take communion. And communion, our communion at River Glen is open to anybody who calls himself a follower of Jesus. The trays are gonna pass by. You simply pull out. It's two cups. You pull them apart. You've got the bread and you've got the juice. And in this moment, we do what Jesus asked us to do. We express our gratitude. We give our thanksgiving. And we focus on what he did for us and he gave us that right relationship with God. That's what we celebrate. That's what we're thankful for. That's what all of our gratitude is all about. That's what matters the most. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for the truth we find in Scripture. Thank you so much for a day set aside to think about gratitude, to think about thanksgiving, to count our many blessings, and just to realize that we have so much. Your love for us is so great, and you've blessed us in so many ways. God, I pray that we take that spirit, we take that attitude out of here, God. Give us, give us a thankful heart. Remove any unthankfulness from us, God. Give us hearts filled with gratitude. It is so easy to drift the other way, to be unthankful, to criticize. 
to not show gratitude. God, make us a people who are filled with your spirit. Make us people who are thankful. Make us people who understand what you did for us. Lord, in all of this, may we walk out of here this afternoon, this morning. May we we be the one, God. Just continue to work on our hearts. Give us a desire to grow in you so we can be the one who stops to give that praise and thanksgiving. Thank you, Lord. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.